All right, we are back. I think it might be time to take a little bit of a detour into the social sciences, which are rather broadly defined. But let's start out with um, public relations. This subject has been a source of great fascination to us here at Radio Parallax for quite some time. And on a bit of a whim, he was truly decided to order some uh, classic tomes on this subject. In particular, two volumes by Edward Bernays, considered by many to be the father of public relations. First, his 1923, Crystallizing Public Opinion, followed by his 1928 work titled, Propaganda. Bernays' works were a smashing success and led to him being one of the most influential people of the 20th century. And although we're not going to have time to deal with the subject in depth today, I did want to fish out a few quotes, starting with this from the very beginning of Propaganda. Said Edward Bernays, The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in a democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. He goes on a page later to say, It is not usually realized how necessary these individual governors are to the orderly functioning of our group life. In theory, every citizen may vote for whom he pleases. Our Constitution does not envisage political parties as part of the mechanism of government, and its framers seem not to have pictured to themselves the existence in our national politics of anything like the modern political machine. But the American voters soon found out without organization and direction their individual votes cast perhaps for dozens or hundreds of candidates would produce nothing but confusion. Invisible government in the shape of rudimentary political parties arose almost overnight. Ever since then, we have agreed, for the sake of simplicity and practicality, that party machines should narrow down the field of choice to two candidates or at most three or four. He goes on, In theory, every citizen makes up his mind on public questions and matters of private conduct. In practice, if all men had to study for themselves the abstruse economic, political, and ethical data involved in every question, they would find it impossible to come to a conclusion. We have voluntarily agreed to let an invisible government sift the data and high-spot the outstanding issue so that our field of choice shall be narrowed to practical proportions. Is he telling it like it is? Sadly, we think so. Much of the book, in this case propaganda, is spent uh, trying to claim that the term has is, is been, is been uh, perverted. It has all these negative connotations attached to it now. In the introduction to propaganda, which is a fascinating piece in itself, written by Mark Crispin Miller, who I'm sorry to say we've never had on Radio Parallax, but Auntie France did have him on over at uh, It's About You. Miller points out that um, in the wake of World War I, a British MP, Arthur Ponsonby, wrote Falsehood in Wartime, which Miller describes as a straightforward catalog of all the major falsehoods propagated by the Allied governments. Ponsonby refutes each lie. 
This is a topic we should probably devote uh, a full hour to in the future. We're pleased to note that in the, in the intro by Mark Crispin Miller, they referred to uh, an author we have had on on this program, John Stauber, who along with Sheldon Rampton wrote, Toxic Sludge is Good for You, Lies, Damn Lies, and the Public Relations Industry. Stauber was a most entertaining guest, and I think we need to, to bring him back. And checking out Crystallizing Public Opinion, which also has a wonderful introductory essay by uh, Stuart Ewan, I was surprised to realize that we've had um, a major contributor to this story about Edward Bernays on the program. We just didn't know it. Larry Ty spoke to us about his book on Satchel Page a couple years back, but he is also the author of The Father of Spin, Edward L. Bernays and the Birth of Public Relations. And I would like to quote from that book a bit, except that I loaned it to Mr. McMillan. And when his storage container flooded during one of the big storms a few years back and had a nasty case of mold. That would be the flood of 2004, October. Good memory. And uh, the end notes to that book also notes Robert Caldini, who coined the term compliance professional in his book Influence, the New Psychology of Modern Persuasion. We spoke to him on this program some years back as well. When yours truly gets done reading both of these books, uh, we'll return to it. But I think today was, but I think at this moment, I'd like to kind of refer to some other things out there in the field of PR. Because it certainly dominates the news, said Bernays himself, news is any overt act which juts out of the routine of circumstance. A good public relations man advises his client to carry out an overt act, interpreting the continuity of life in some way to bring out a response. But thinking about news and thinking about propaganda, the two seem to converge in my mind on Cuba. For reasons I can't quite understand, various writers here in the States keep getting duped by the Cuban government as they describe reform, which is always just around the corner of the Castro brothers' rule. And sort of, you know, advances two steps, drops back a step, advances two steps, drops back two steps, etc., etc. Recent piece in the B, reprinted from the New York Times by Victoria Burnett, had the headline, Businesses Arise as Tiny Consumer Class Takes Root in Cuba. The piece described how in somebody's converted apartment, a 55-inch television and an M&M dispenser in the corner uh, became sort of a Cuban version of a 3D movie theater. Having been to Cuba on more than one occasion, uh, I felt compelled to talk about it on this program in the past, and all I can say is you have to recognize the Castro brothers for their great work in PR. Because I don't know how else to explain uh, the good press. They, they seem to enjoy it on occasion. Of course, you can always fight fire with fire, citing a piece by Fox News Latino, <laughs> a piece on Cuba, which is, I guess, you know, propagandists talking about propagandists. I nevertheless did enjoy this analysis about what Raul Castro had to say recently about how Edward Snowden is being persecuted for his beliefs. Noted Fox, this may be the one time we, we quote Fox with a straight face in this program. Last Sunday, Raul Castro also aired a laundry list of complaints about illegal activities he said do the country harm. Unauthorized home construction, can't have that. Illicit logging and slaughter of livestock. And the acceptance of bribes, to name a few. He also fulminated against baser examples of social indiscipline, shouting and swearing in the streets, public drinking, and drunk driving dumping trash on the roadside, and even people who relieve themselves in parks. 
At times, the 82-year-old speech sounded like a generational broadside against disrespectful youth who do as they please. A diatribe that could have crossed the lips of many a grandfather. Said Castro, it's not acceptable to equate vulgarity with modernity, sloppiness and negligence with progress. Living in society entails in the first place accepting rules that preserve respect for decency and the rights of others. Here's my favorite. The Cuban leader also spoke out on the corrosive effects of official corruption, quoting his elder brother Fidel as saying such activity poses a greater risk to the Cuban revolution's success than any outside force. Curious phrase, the success of the Cuban uh, revolution. Successes there have been, and colossal failures to go along with them. But uh, you don't need to go to the Caribbean to find public relations battles. They certainly happen here locally. For example, there are animal rights activists who want to see old Sacramento get rid of the carriage horses that for decades have clopped around uh, uh, giving people a mini tour. Writing about this in the Beast, Cynthia Hubert noted that a loosely organized group known as Working Animal Advocates has launched an aggressive campaign to ban the carriages from Old Sacramento. They argue that forcing horses to pull heavy wagons amid traffic, tourists, and inclement weather is abusive. Accompanying photograph of the piece shows someone holding up a sign saying, Hauling in the heat hurts horses! Well, we're taking no official stand on this one. But we're not sure we agree with the letter writer from Corta Madera who wrote the B to say, uh, in agreement with the, the ban, that carriage rides can still be offered by motorizing the carriages. That maintains the quaintness without the cruelty. To which we'd have to say, no, it doesn't. You lose a lot of quaintness in a motorized carriage. On the other hand, you also lose a lot of horse poop in the street, which on a hot day, along with the horse urine, eh, can be kind of a bummer. Speaking of animal cruelty, there's a a PR battle going on about pregnant sows in the state fair, which prompted another rather breathless letter to the bee from someone in Sacramento saying, please consider being confined in an iron-barred cage barely larger than your body for three straight weeks, then forced to give birth on a metal grid before gawking crowds with nightly fireworks. Chris, curiously, a paid advertisement in the bee showed... uh, Farrowing crate versus a humane alternative. And does make you wonder. This farrowing crate does look pretty grim. On the other hand, uh, if these people had their way, they would get, I think, rid of all animals at the fair because it's just cruel to the animals to be gawked at with fireworks. We talked to Mary Roach on the program sometime back about her new book, uh, Gulp. She came over to UC Davis to take a look at the uh, fenestrated cattle, I think they're called, that have rubber plugs in the side, which you can then uh, put your hand in to examine the partially digested vegetable matter inside a cow. They used to have these on display at picnic day, but animal rights people said this was cruel, and so they don't have it anymore. I found this out when after 30 years of hearing about these cows, I finally went over during picnic day one day to check one out. They were gone. But uh, back to the pig issue. Mother Jones has a piece in the current issue about, about this, uh, this question, which is more addressed to whether it's humane to have to have sows placed in these uh, farrowing cages at all times, which does seem a bit over the top. The piece quoted Richard Berman, described as a notorious PR flack, who was taken to the pages of the industry trade publication Pork Network to urge pork producers to cling to their gestational crates, which he prefers to call maternity pens. His advice, ignore the issue. If the industry holds steady, it will prevail. Well, sadly, in general, that that's all too commonly true. 
But public relations is intriguing in politics and uh, in public affairs. For various reasons, we took a stance against the elimination of the claw, which in my neighborhood in Sacramento is a way of picking up leaves which accumulate because there's such a large canopy of trees. They had a special election to authorize getting rid of the claw, and it passed by just just like a couple tenths of a percent of a vote. And that was with very, very little public relations organized to try and retain the claw. So, you know, it does come down to what message gets before the public. And when it comes to PR, nobody's better than the National Rifle Association in being able to manipulate machinery of, uh, of PR and politics. You may know, dear listener, in the wake of the Newtown disaster, which people thought would finally galvanize the nation into some more uh, efforts on gun control. Well, that, that's been a spectacular failure. A piece last month in the B about uh, how, how people are buying more guns than ever right now in anticipation of possible restrictions. Quoted Melissa Bauman, described as neuroscientist at UC Davis and president of the Sacramento Davis chapter of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, as saying that for a long time, the gun lobby has really controlled the national conversation. They're very effective at conveying information that could lead people to believe that any compromise would keep them from owning guns. Well, it seems that hits the nail on the head, doesn't it? You know, if we're going to do a show on PR, we probably ought to do a show on lying. Might be the same show. I was watching the Weather Channel last week, and they were showing the great legendary London smog event of 1952 that killed at least 4,000 and possibly more like 20,000 people. The, uh, the program showed how four years before that there had been a, a similar temperature inversion over uh, Pennsylvania. And in one instance, one town had 20 people die and they're pretty sure it was in association with the fact that that was the town that had a zinc smelting mill. And that there was more pollution there than in the other uh, dirty towns, which were also, you know, very industrialized, producing uh, steel, coke, etc. What fascinated me was that they realized that there were toxins in the air that were killing people. But an official inquiry into the matter decided that it was, quote, an act of God, unquote. That's, of course, because if they decided it was because the stuff coming out of the zinc smelter was killing people, well, they might have to close it down, and that would cause a loss of jobs, which is true. But uh, if we start making a list, I think, for, for, for broadcast of all of the great lies, the great whoppers out there that have been told over the past 50 to 100 years, whoppers of epic proportion, I think we might start at the beginning of the show and, and not say anything else for about 58 straight minutes. For our money, the gold standard of lies slash public relations must be the successful effort or mostly successful effort to keep from the public the fact that TWA Flight 800 back in 1996 was downed by an errant missile fired by the United States Navy. Also not a topic for today's show, but on a much smaller level, how about this one? Did you see this headline a few weeks back? What caused mass death of 25,000 bumblebees in a Target parking lot? Hmm, I wonder. It wouldn't be considered normal behavior for bees to suddenly die off in vast quantities. So it probably wasn't natural causes. Oh my goodness, it turns out, buried in the news story, they they do mention the fact that why officials up in uh, Wilsonville, Oregon, had been doing some spraying of the trees before the massive die-off. They did admit to using some pesticides. Now, the side part means kill. And... Pretty much, by definition, pesticides are used to kill bugs. So if you spray trees with pesticide and then bugs die, 
What is it about cause and effect that seems to be the missing link here in the reporting? Just to quote from one piece, thousands of dead bees have been found in an Oregon parking lot. 25,000 bees died in the largest known incident of bumblebee death to date. Pesticides may be at fault. This backs us into the whole issue of colony collapse disorder, which many are attributing to uh, certain new types of pesticides out there, which is wreaking havoc on our honeybees. So far, they can't decide if it's the pesticides or something else, or just maybe, I guess, if it was an act of God. He does, after all, work in strange and mysterious ways. And speaking about pesticides and, uh, and denial, how about this piece from the Sacramento Bee, July 7th, piece by Edward Ortiz. Aerial spraying possible soon against West Nile. Quotes David Brown from the Sacramento Yolo Mosquito Vector Control District is saying, we're concerned about the high infection rates and are considering aerial spraying. And yes, it's true. Dead birds are turning up testing positive for West Nile virus. But has anybody shown so far that all this aerial spraying is preventing disease? I don't know. I get nervous every time a piece starts talking about how non-toxic the spraying is going to be. Pieces like, although the pesticides used are commonly found in products to treat cats and dogs for fleas and ticks, the district advises individuals to remain indoors and keep windows and doors closed during spraying. You know what, if I got to choose between you know, uh, uh, aerial toxins and West Nile, I think I might roll the dice on the virus. And I think we need to come up from air. So let's take a break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Stick around. 